By a showing of hands, how many people have been married for more than five years? Raise your hand. Okay. How about 10 years? Raise your hand. How about more than 20 years? Raise your hand. Okay, it's becoming fewer. How many 30 or more years? Wow, now we're down to the, the few, the select few, right? Give them a hand. Exactly. You know, that's one of the great things. If you're a single person today, this marriage series I'm beginning today isn't just for the married person. If you're single today, you need to listen up. Your ears need to be perked up today and listen to the truths of God's Word. Amen? Now, one of the things that I've learned in being married for almost 22 years now to my beautiful Anna is uh, some things that how to do it right and other things that I should never do, right? We all learn. We're constantly learning. I look at my parents. They've been married for 57, it'll be 58 years this year. I mean, that's a long, long time. That's way many more years than I've been alive. And uh, just kidding. But the point is, I can go to people like that, couples like that, couples like Wayne and Irene have been married for more than 30 years, and I can say, what's the secret to marriage? How do you stay in love? How do you make it work for that length of time? Because here's what we know about marriage. Marriage, when you first get married, that honeymoon stage, you're flying high. If you're not flying high at that point, we got some serious problems already, okay? But you're flying high. They say that first two years, you're on this honeymoon high. But then, typically, it starts to settle down because kids are now introduced into the picture. And once kids are introduced into the picture of a relationship, or not even, even if you don't have kids, this, this honeymoon high all of a sudden starts to settle down into the everyday reality of, oh, I gotta live with this guy, I gotta live with this woman for the rest of my life, even with all those imperfections I never saw when we were just dating. How many saw that, right? You saw all the wonderful perfections that, oh my honey, she could never do this or do that. And I mean, a great example is we would go to have men's coffee yesterday. I love this about the relationship of Wayne and Irene. Here he has a cup that says, I love the fart. I mean, that's a that's a great cup. That's only a great marriage. I bought one. <laughs> Irene says she bought that for him. And only a great marriage could joke around like that, a sense of humor like that. And that's also a great thing that you need to have an attribute in your marriage is a sense of humor. And so all those wonderful things that we first saw in our spouse, because we never saw any of the negative things. It was just, ooh, and ah, and she's so perfect, and he's so handsome, and he's so this and that. And then reality somewhere hits, and you begin to go, I never realized that about this person. I never realized that about my wife, that she... uh, you know, uh, well, I won't go there. Just, I'll let your imaginations wander and wander there, right? Just thinking about your own relationships. That's reality. And somehow through that process, we still have to figure out, how do I stay in love? How do I make this marriage work? Because it doesn't happen by itself. Just because you had someone say, I now pronounce you man and wife, does not mean your marriage is going to be blessed from that point on. Just because because you love that person and they're the greatest things in sliced bread or as I like to say in my house a fresh homemade warm tortilla <laughs> flour tortilla doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect from then on you have to work at it both men and women and here's the thing it's not 50-50 it's 100% 100% you have to be 100% invested so does your spouse amen, amen. if you're only 50% invested, guess what? It ain't going to work. I'm here to tell you, it's not going to work. So, men and different, men and women are very different. We know that, right? Have you figured that out yet? People that are married? You single people? 
you, 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 you don't know what I'm talking about, but you will one day. We're very, very different. In fact, one of the great things I like to mention all the time in marriages is there's a speaker. His name is Mark Gunger. How many have heard of him? He's a great uh, marriage counselor, pastor, slash comedian. He's got a great way of, of uh, relaying marriage information to you. At any rate, he talks about how men and women have these boxes in their minds. So, for example, women have multiple boxes in their brain. And so what that means is that when Anna and I are talking about going out to dinner, you know, that box then connects to the box of, okay, what shall I wear, which connects to the box of, um, you know, where are we going? I mean, how long is it going to be? there? They're all separate boxes, right? Men, we just have one box. It's like, we're going out to dinner, okay? We just think we're going to dinner. That's it. Just, it's really simple. So women, when you look at us and you ask us, what are you thinking? Any women ever ask their husband that? What are you thinking? Of course you have. We're really not thinking anything sometimes. When we tell you nothing, that's, that's a fact. We're not thinking anything. And that's a very tough thing for women to believe. How could you possibly not be thinking of anything? Uh, trust me, men, we just zone out. We can just be in this place of not be thinking anything. We're relaxing. We're chilling. We're taking a break, right? How many men believe that, right? We're all, you're all there with me. But with women, there's just no way we could possibly be thinking nothing. There's got to be something going on up here, something mischievous, something's going on, and you just don't want to tell me about it. I know it. And that's how women can get. But really, we're just, what are you thinking, honey? Nothing. Because that's a fact. So here's what I want to share with you this morning. You got a handout, uh, Five Love Languages, if you, the big handout there. And that's actually from a book written by a, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, very uh, well-known marriage counselor. He wrote the Five Love Languages. I just really want to quickly go through those. And here's the thing about marriages or anything in relationships. If you know how to speak the language to the other person that you want to speak to, that's half the battle. If I come up here and I, all I have is a Filipino audience and I don't know how to speak Tagalog, I'm in a world of hurt. But I do know how to say magandang umaga, which means good morning. That's the extent of it. And I love uh, Filipino food. So, but that doesn't help me. I need to be able to speak the language. It's the same thing in marriages. If you don't know how to speak your spouse's language, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So let's look at this outline real quickly. Um, number one, words of affirmation. Uh, basically, if this is your love language, hearing someone tell you, I love you, I need you, you're, my, you're the desire of my heart, you make my heart just explode, I love your bones. If you're that person that needs to hear that kind of thing, then your love language is words of affirmation, okay? And right now as I'm mentioning this to you, try to figure out which one you are, and then try to figure out which one your spouse is if you're married here. Number two, quality time. Quality time means giving someone your undivided attention. Men, this is what it means, you know, uh, typically. You get home from work, and you set your stuff down, and your wife looks at you and says, Tell me about your day. Tell me about your day. What, what happened today? Right there and then, as, as you walk in through that door, if, if this is you, you know what, what's going on. Man, you just want to get your stuff down, you know, bring your lunchbox in, your coat, take your coat off, uh, th- put things away, go take care of business, whatever that may mean. And then maybe later, maybe like in an hour, maybe in half an hour, hey, I'd love to sit down with you, honey, and talk to you about how my day went. But at that moment... You're not, if you're like most men, not ready to be engaged in a discussion of how my day went with your wonderful spouse, right? That's called quality time. Women desire quality time much more than men do. Not that men don't, but quality time, again, is giving someone your undivided attention, looking at them with your eyes and just making eye contact, right, man? 
It's not when your wife says, tell me about your day, looking down and saying, well, or texting away, yeah, it was good, Um, yeah, I was busy. It's not that. It's looking at your spouse, men or or woman, and looking at them in the eyes and giving them undivided attention. Amen? That's quality time. And, And conversely, as it says here, constant absence, postponed dates, um, and divided attention can be hurtful. That means if, if you desire, if your love language is quality time, those things can be very hurtful. That spouse isn't available to you. Is not, you're, you're not hooking up. You know, that's hurtful to you if that's your love language. Number three is receiving gifts. Gifts are visual symbols of love. How many know that? When we give gifts, we typically are very thankful. We, but for some of us, gifts are, are so much more than that. That is a token of our love. They, you receive that as, wow, this person really loves me, really appreciates me. I mean, much more so than, than most people. Receiving gifts, this love language is not necessarily materialistic. It's, say, forgetting a birthday, anniversary, or a hasty, thoughtless gift can be hurtful to someone with this love language. So gift-giving just completes them. It makes them feel secure. And if that's your love language, and your spouse knows that, then you're a happy person. But if that's your love language, and your spouse doesn't reciprocate, or doesn't give you that, it can feel put you in a place of being hurt all the time. And then fourthly, there's acts of service. Acts of service means doing things your partner would like you to do, what your spouse would like you to do. Um, It can be anything from washing the dishes, taking out trash, uh, mopping the floor, whatever, making a lunch for your spouse, making dinner, making breakfast. But it has to be done willingly and with no grudge. Remember, love is a choice. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be forced upon you. And then five is physical touch. Have you noticed that if you're in a marriage here today, one of you requires more physical touch than the other? Have you figured that out yet? It's very unusual if both of you require the same amount of physical touch. It's just the dynamic that happens in most marriages. It's whatever there is of me resides in my body. To touch my body is to touch me, to touch my soul. And again, I'm not referring to what goes on in the bedroom. I'm just referring to just holding your hand, your spouse's hand. I'm referring to putting your arm around her. I'm referring to opening her door and then gently guiding her into the vehicle if you're a man. That's, that touch is so important. Amen? And to withdraw from that, if that is your spouse's love language, and if you withdraw, that hurts emotionally that person. Then that person is going to withdraw from you, and then it's a war. Then the war is on, amen? We, and, and let's face it, all of us have those ups and downs, because there's no perfect marriage, right? There's no perfect marriage. And speaking of that, a perfect marriage, because it doesn't exist, it's really a marriage is just two people that don't want to give up on each other, that refuse to give up on each other. Because each of you here are imperfect people, and we need God's help to get us through, to stay in love, but it's refusing to give up on each other. Amen. So those five physical, uh, or five love language, just typically describe us, one uh, or the other, uh, our spouses. um, And so next time when you're having a... A conversation with your wife, with your husband. Look at these, think of these, pull them out, and try to figure out who they are. And if you can begin to speak to them in the way that these are laid out, I guarantee you one thing, they're going to feel much more appreciated, much more loved. Because uh, one thing that single people don't understand is is uh, it takes years to figure this out. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I, I know I didn't have Anna figured out after the first year of marriage. How many here had their spouses figured out after a year? No. It's constantly a process. And even over 30 years, I'm sure, it's evolved. It's the things that were important 30 years ago maybe aren't quite so important now. Maybe now this is taking 
preeminence in their in their relationship. You know, one of these qualities here. It could change. And as a spouse, you need to be in touch with that. You need to know how to make your spouse happy. Amen? So let's get on to our outline. You have your outline this morning, our sermon. I've titled this, Staying in Love. Staying in Love. Here's the thing about love. It's never been easier to fall in love nowadays. It's never been easier. Um, but here's the question. Is it, is it even possible for two people to stay in love, to be happy forever? Ask yourself that right now. Because the, the answer is yes. But is it possible to have a love for a lifetime relationship? When I ask those to raise your hand who's been married more than 30 years, right here, one couple, and when I look at my parents, 57 years of marriage, very few people nowadays can say, been married for 50 years or longer. Very few. It's not like it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or even way back. Uh, Every year it becomes harder and harder to find relationships, marriages that are together for a long time. So it behooves you, if you're a single person, a young person, wanting to get married, uh, go to these people that have been married for any length of time, go to a marriage that you think is successful, and say, hey, listen, what makes your marriage work? It doesn't hurt, right? And if I was you, and wanting to get married all over again, that's what I would do. Hey, what makes your marriage work? Here's a question. Do people stay together in love forever? What do you think? Let that resonate right now for a second. Do you think you can stay together and love each other forever? Well, I'm here to tell you it is possible to do that. But it takes work. Everybody say work. Work. There is a glimmer of hope in all of us, but here's what the world will tell you, that it's not probable. The world will tell you, nah, you know, marriages are, the divorce rate is now about 50%, now close to 60%. Your marriage is probably not going to work. And while those may be statistics, God is reminding us that love can work. Love can work. There is a hope, a marriage of a lifetime possibility for each of you. But it takes work, amen? Did you know, in in studying for this sermon, that there are 1,600 matchmaking groups? There are over 1,600 matchmaking groups. You can go online right now. What what are some of them? Uh, What's that? Match.com, right. And other dating.com sites like that. You can go uh, on social media. Um, There's other ways to get connected. There's single groups and this and that. Um, And in all these... They're all looking for one thing. They're looking for love, right? They're looking for love. We want to find that special one. We want to find the one. Not just to get married, but to get married and stay in love forever. You know what I told Anna when I first met her, and we both said this, we both agreed to this, that I want to grow old with you. I want, to, I want to get on a porch, on a rocking chair, just like that video we saw, those two older couple, the older couple, on a chair, on a porch, I want to get old with my wife like that, because I want to spend my life with her. And if you can come to that point in your relationship, you're going to have a successful relationship. But if you can't see yourself doing that, ooh, we need to talk, okay, after service. All right. Here's what our culture teaches, and this is why marriages or relationships are so hard to hold on to, is that we're taught to look out for number one, right? We're taught to take care of ourselves. We're taught to, hey, if somebody hurts you, well then hurt them back. And that's the opposite of selflessness. That's selfish. That's being selfish. And the number one thing that will help your marriage, I'm here to tell you this right now, no matter how much it hurts, is you got to quit being selfish. Selfishness will ruin your marriage. Selfishness will destroy your relationship. If you're single, if you want to get married, if you're married, selfishness will destroy your marriage right now. How many have that figured out? How many know that? And here's the great thing about being a believer in Christ is that when you do go there and start becoming selfish, all of a sudden this little voice, which is really the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to you and begins to tell you, well, you know, that wasn't right. That's not fair. That's, you know, but it's more than not just being fair. It's not right. You need to go back 
sometimes apologize to your spouse and say, Honey, I'm sorry. I was being selfish. That wasn't right of me. I need you to ask me to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. Excuse me. And when you do that, you're obeying what Christ has asked you to do. Amen? Amen. I want to read our verse, our scripture text this morning. And if you'll stand with me real quick. It's just one verse. And it's found in John chapter 13 and verse 34. John chapter 13. This is Jesus speaking this command. Okay, so listen to this. It says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's pray. Father God, we ask your blessing, Lord, this morning. Lord, I pray for boldness and, and wisdom, Lord, in declaring your message on how to stay in love. Lord, help us to receive that word this morning, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. So, here's the great thing about that word, that scripture there. We know that. We're supposed to love one another. That's not news. But what what's, can be difficult if we don't recognize this, is Christ is telling you and I, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. See, it's one thing for you to love your spouse how you think you should love them. But it's a whole other level to love your spouse as Christ loved them. That means there's no room for selfishness. That means getting it out of the way. And so here's the secret. If you're struggling in your marriage, I'm here to tell you, you're struggling with selfishness right now. One or both of you are struggling with selfishness. And you have to remove that. Christ never had room for selfishness. It was always about serving. It was always about giving to the others, to others. You know, here in our church we have many examples of people that are selfless, which is the opposite of selfishness. They're always giving of their time, their talents, their treasures. I mean, I look out at you and I see every one of you here, you're like that. And that's a great witness to be able to have a selfless attitude, which is exactly what Christ wants you to do. Healthy relationships. Here's some of the points that each of our relationships need to have. If you don't see your marriage in this place, your relationship, we need to start working on it. Here's, here's a few of them. Number one is security. We all need to have security. That's so important. And typically, not always, but typically, most women want to feel secure in their relationship with their spouse. Encouragement. Respect. Comfort. Support. Acceptance. Approval. Attention. Affection. And appreciation. Can you imagine if you had those things going on in your relationship every single day? 24-7, 365? How blessed would your marriage be? Well, guess what? The only thing stopping you is you. The only thing stopping you is you this morning. Every one of you can have that. I mean, I read that and I think, man, that's an awesome marriage. I think of that and I think, well, we have that, but man, we could... We could sure work on this one or that one better, and or I can. And um, this is a great reminder for you as spouses to remind yourself every day what you need to be giving to your spouse. Amen? Here's, the, here's one of the great problems in our society today. We live in a, in a malnourished emotional society. So what ends up happening is you're, these single people come to this place of marriage and want to get married after never having been shown an example of what a true godly marriage looks like. So now you get these malnourished, spiritually malnourished people together. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to be a disaster waiting to happen without the help of Christ. Without the help of Christ. Once you ask the Lord to help you and guide you, He'll walk with you. It doesn't matter how malnourished you are. But let's face it, most relationships out in the world today, they have no concept of what a godly marriage should look like. And they come together, they get married because they feel such an emotional high. They, they love each other so much and they feel that love can, can overcome or this feeling I have right now can overcome anything that will come my way. Any issue that I'll face, love, this strong love will overcome it. That's not reality, is it? You've got to have much more than that. 
Did you know that 40% of kids born will be raised with no dad in the home? 40% of kids. There's a relational deficit in our society today. That's why they get to this point in time, they didn't see that example growing up, they have no clue how to live it, how to, how to relate to their spouse. We do things intentionally in my household, and probably more, or I, I, I overstate it sometimes, intentionally. I take my wife, I take Anna, I pick her up, and I'll tell her right in front of Bianca, I love you, and I plant a big wet one right on her lips. Why is that? Not just to show them, but I love my wife. And number two, I'm showing them, this is how your husband needs to treat you. And then... Anytime I, if I, if I do something that, oh man, that wasn't pretty, that wasn't very smart, Rick, what are you thinking? I'll go back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, I need you to forgive me, I, I didn't mean that. But I'll do that in front of the kids. They need to see both sides. They need to see me loving my wife. They need to see my wife when I tell her, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I need you to forgive me for what I just said. You have to display that to your kids. If you want a healthy marriage, your kids will also benefit from that, right? And speaking of children, one of the things that we teach our kids, this is what we teach them. Because I know they're going to have a godly marriage. You know why I know this? Because our kids, we're teaching them that in terms of dating, that they're going to, they're going to friend somebody. That means they're going to eventually become a friend with somebody. And um, that's getting to know somebody, but without dating. I'm talking about dating, just knowing them. And then there's, if that is somebody that they feel that God is wanting for their life and vice versa, um, then that's going to lead to this thing called courtship. Anybody ever heard this word courtship? It's an outdated term. Nobody uses it nowadays. But that courtship is when, okay, then you're allowed to hold their hand, you know. And, and, and then get to know each other. But it's a process. And when they do that, and only when they do that, the next step should be marriage. It really should be. It should be friending somebody. It should be a courtship. And then it should lead to a marriage. And I believe that that is what God will provide for my daughters. I believe that because that's how I've raised them. That's what they've seen. And uh, I'll be very... No, I'm just kidding. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen? Amen. Here's, here's the other thing that our culture teaches us as selfish people, selfish relationships, is that at the first moment that we're hurt in our relationship because everybody say the word hurt. Hurts. Because you will get hurt in relationship. I don't care how good your marriage is, there will be a point in time you will be hurt. You will be, I can't believe he just said, I can't believe she did that. And you will be hurt. But here's the problem that the world teaches us. Is that when you're hurt, okay, it's time to bail. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not going to put up with that. That's nonsense. That's, that's, I'm not going to put up with that. And that's what the world teaches you if you're not careful. It says, give up. Why, why do you need to put up with that? You're better than that. Give up on this person. But what's a successful marriage? It's two imperfect people that refuse to give up on each other. Refuse to give up on each other. And so no matter where you're at in your marriage today, your relationship, God's not going to give up on you. So don't give up on each other. Amen? So again, if you're single here today, it's, it's, yes, it's looking for the right one, but it's looking for the one that God has for you. Amen? God has someone specific. I truly believe in a soulmate. You know, God has a soulmate for you. One that He desires for you to grow old with. Isn't that just a wonderful picture? Even if you're young this morning, to grow old with somebody and sit on a rocking chair somewhere, overlooking the beautiful countryside somewhere. You know, that's a beautiful picture to me, to grow old like that with someone. Now, here's the thing I want to talk to you about this morning. That love is not a noun, but it's a what? 
It's a verb. Exactly. It's an action item. One of the great examples we men can, can uh, display that in is opening the door for our spouse. There's a few of you here that every time I see you with your spouse, without fail, you open the door for your spouse every single time. I'm talking to you, Ed and Betty, uh, Brother Ed. Every time I see him, he opens the door for his lovely wife. Every time, without fail. I've never, ever seen him get into his car without opening that door for his wife. That is a great example for every man in this building here today. Love is not a noun, it's a verb, it's an action. It's not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Oh, he gives me goosebumps. Oh, she gives me goosebumps. She sends my spidey sense tingling. No, it's not about that. It's not about that. It's much, much more than that. It's not a feeling. I want you to go and love one another. Putting love into action and behavior will arouse your feelings towards each other, right? Positive feelings. Um, it'll make you stay connected. Staying in love is, is really all about the action and behavior of loving another, another person, loving one another. Don't take the example of what the world did or does. Take your example from what Christ taught us to do. He said, stay in love, and in order to do that, you have to make love a verb. Amen? Here's what Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says. The book of Ephesians tells us this. Submit, everybody say submit, submit. To, one another, to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a hard, hard topic for, for marriages. For men in particular, and also for women. It's not just one, one gender. Submitting, man, that can be hard. That means sometimes even when you know you're right, just to submit in order for peace to dwell in your household. How many want to have peace in their houses? Amen. And sometimes wisdom will tell you, submit, back off. You don't want to win the battle and lose the war, right? None of you here want to win that battle and lose the war. It's submitting sometimes. Feeling loved is your response to what others do towards you. So if you want to stay in love, then you need to quit treating love like a noun and treat it like a verb. So go home and love one another. Amen? Amen. The foundation for love is to make love a verb. Let me say that again. The foundation for staying in love is to make love a verb. Just thought I'd throw that in. The goal is not to recapture those feelings of love when you first locked eyes and, and said, Oh man, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Or this is an amazing uh, guy and I, I got I to gotta get him and this is my man. And No, it's more than that. The feelings of love will return when we are in the position of loving one another. When you begin demonstrating these five love languages to your spouse, whatever that love language is of theirs, when you demonstrate that to them, all of a sudden, I, I mean, here's the great example for me in my life, is when I take the time, and last night we went out to dinner in Vallejo, and we went to this nice uh, Italian restaurant, uh, and uh, thank you, Brenda and Dan. Um, that was a great uh, dinner. But here we are at this table, seated for two, and I'm gazing. I'm not just looking. I'm gazing into my, to my wife's eyes, and I'm gazing into her eyes. I've got her attention. I'm not looking out the window. I'm not looking at my watch. I'm not pulling out my cell phone and texting or looking up at the latest updates on my social media I'm not looking at that I'm looking and gazing into Anna's eyes and as I do that I have her full undivided attention and guess what she knows and she feels that I respect her and that I have her right there in that moment we're, we're one right there in that moment just simply having dinner. And so we go out to dinner, and we're having a great time. I now am speaking her love language because I'm looking at her in the eyes, and I'm giving her all the attention she needs as she speaks to me. 
that is important for my wife that I do that. And that's important for any relationship. You can't just pay half attention to your spouse. You have to give them your undivided attention. Amen? Amen. So again, the key to staying in love is not just finding the right person. It's also finding someone who's committed to becoming the right person in Christ. Today, if you've been married for any length of time, hopefully you've grown in Christ. You're not the same as you were when you first got married. And that spouse of yours has the same goal. And you're growing and growing. Not only do you grow spiritually, your love for one another grows and it intensifies. I never thought that would be possible as a young, younger person getting married. That, man, when I first got married, how could my love be any greater for my wife? Oh, let me tell you right now. Let me tell you, I love my wife's bones to say what Sister Betty says about her husband, Ed. You develop a deeper, more meaningful love relationship with your spouse when it's truly centered on Christ. There's, there's just no doubt about it. How many here know what I'm talking about? Amen? Amen. So again, it's about putting the other person first, removing selfishness out of the way, and it's about making love a verb. Amen. Now here's the great thing about falling in love. It's very easy. We all can fall in love easily, right? How many would say with your sp- about your spouse that you fell in love with her or him the very first time you saw them? Raise your hand if that was you. I was- or second time. I mean, that's first or second time. So for some, it's love at first sight. For others, it takes time, it develops. But uh, again, it's typically easy to fall in love because we don't know about all those imperfections, you know, late at night when all of a sudden you're going, what was that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. I had to go there. I knew you, you knew I was going to go there. See, those imperfections didn't exist the moment you met them. But all of a sudden later, as you get more comfortable with each other, and things become a little bit more relaxed, (laughs) things happen. All right? Single people, I'm just letting you know what's going to happen. Getting real. Yes, we're getting real right now. But here's what I want you to know about relationships and, and how to stay in love. There's this word called romance. Romance. Right now, as I just said that, different images came to your mind right now of romance. What that means. Because it means different things to every one of you. But mention the word and women think of that candlelight dinner. Candles everywhere. Soft music, Luther Vandross playing in the background. Or Barry White if you're older. You know. Whoever that might... I think Barry was here right now. I thought I just heard Barry. Look out. <laughs> Who loves you, baby? Oh, I wish I could talk like that. But women might think of that candlelight dinner, right? And with meaningful conversation, with her husband gazing into her eyes and just melting at every word she's saying, right? I'm painting this picture, right? That's romance for, for a woman, right? And then men might think of that exciting encounter after dinner, right? Where are we going after dinner, right? For some men, that might be all you're focused on. Yeah, this is great, but this is going to lead to something else later on. And, and that's fine. But those are two different polar opposite extremes. Amen? But the importance of it is that romance has to be initiated. You have to begin it. You have to work on it. It doesn't happen by accident. It's not going to happen just because you want it to happen. You have to take the time to initiate it. It keeps your relationship going and your passions alive. Uh, Without going... Well... Last week, Brother Ed and Betty, you got away for your anniversary, right? Was it last weekend? Yeah, last week. They got away to celebrate some time together. Anna and I are going to be heading out to Fort Bragg uh, the day after Valentine's Day. We're going to be gone for about three, four days up on the coast. Hopefully it's, it doesn't matter. we got a nice place to stay. So we're going to have a great time. But the point is, you need to take the time one-on-one with your spouse and give them that undivided attention. 
to get away from the rat race, to get away sometimes from your kids, the issues at work, uh, taking a test, studying, all that hard work. You need to get away and just spend one-on-one time. Amen? You get rejuvenated. All of a sudden, you, you know, it's, it's romance. And then that carries over when you come back and you can work on that when you get back. Amen? Amen. Because here's the thing, without it, without romance, relationships begin to deteriorate. They begin to fall apart. If you're never one with your spouse, I'm here to tell you, your marriage is going to fail right now. It's going to fail. Here's three important elements of romance, and I just want to mention these real quick. First, romance is self-initiated, what I told you. You have to start it. Don't wait for her to start it. Don't wait for him to start it. If you feel that your marriage needs romance, then you start it. And most of the time, if not all the time, it gets reciprocated. All of a sudden, you find yourself with your husband initiating the romance. And that's a wonderful, wonderful place to be, amen? Romance is when you do something unexpected for your spouse. Do something that's unexpected. Don't wait till Valentine's Day to spring some chocolates or, a, or a roses to them or whatever the gift might be. Do it way before Valentine's Do it when they're not expecting it. That's what romance is all about. Romance communicates that your spouse is in your heart and that you really care. And the important thing is to pursue your spouse on your own initiative without being told to do it. So, for example, I mentioned the Fort Bragg trip. I scheduled it. I planned it. And then I called in. I said, guess what we're going to do? Because I was at work when I was doing this on my lunch break. And I told her, and she go, and I said, you need to take the time off. And so I initiated it. And she got all excited. She said, yes, let's do it. Some of the greatest times we've had in marriages, I remember a few times we'd get home on a Friday from work. I'd say, come on, let's pack our bags. We're going to head out. This was before I was pastoring. And we would just spur the moment, head on out. We'd go to Tahoe, Monterey, or someplace. And it was the greatest time ever. We'd done, we've done spur of the moment things like that. Anybody else here ever do that? And it kindles, rekindles that romance. Amen. Second, romance involves communicating value to your spouse. One of the greatest things you can do is build your spouse's self-esteem. See, the world does enough of beating us up, tearing us down. You don't need to do that to your spouse. You do not need to tear your spouse down. You need to help their self-esteem. Anna, you're amazing. You, you, you're a great mother. You're an awesome wife. You meet every need that we have in our household. For me, those are things I can tell her. Um, husbands, whatever it is that you can tell your wife to help improve your marriage, please do it. Wives, the same thing. Sometimes men, we, we need to hear those words of affirmation. Honey, you're a great provider for our home. Honey, you're, you, you, I love you as a man. You know, what you do for our kids and so forth. We need to hear those things. Amen? Amen. Through, through romantic gestures, you show your spouse how important he or she is in your life. Sometimes it takes whispering sweet somethings into her ear or his ear. Amen. And anybody ever do that? You whisper sweet. I tell her, I want to whisper some sweet nothings in your ear. And my kids get a big kick out of that, right, when I, when I do that. And then finally, romance means learning to speak love in your spouse's language. That's why, again, you each got one of these handouts with the five love languages. Learn the language your wife speaks, and you will better be able to communicate with her. And men, your, your, your romance is going to kick up a notch. Women, all of a sudden you're going to find them doing that honeydew thing that you asked them to do last October that's still sitting there that you, has not been done. All of a sudden he's going to want to do those things. All of a sudden he's going to be sweeping the floor, vacuuming the carpet, and putting away the dishes because he knows it's going to lead to that romance thing. That's what happens when you both are on that same page. Amen? Men and women have very different needs. We all know that because we're different people. We're different creatures. Men are from where? Mars and women are from Venus and so forth. But we do speak different love languages. 
we must understand or be able to understand those languages in order to be able to uh, rekindle our romance, rekindle our marriage, put another spark in there. Because you need life injected into your relationship every now and then. You need another dose of it. Amen? Here's, here's one thing that I'll tell you men, most men need, and studies have shown this to be true. Men need to feel respected, they need trust, they want peace, and they need physical relationship. How many know that? Amen? Women need security, open and honest communication, non-sexual affection, just that hug sometimes, just holding their hand sometimes, just holding them while you're laying in bed and just listening to them. Sometimes that's hard for men to do, right? Just holding them and listen. And then, of course, they need somebody to lead. They look for leadership in their man. They look for that. And if you're not fulfilling those as men and women here today, maybe that's why you're struggling here today. Romance makes a relationship better because it means both spouses are willing to sacrifice for each other. When both husband and wife are giving and receiving romantically, I'll tell you what, your marriage is going to be blessed. Your relationship is going to be blessed. And it's at that moment or time when you are at complete peace with God and with each other. When all that circle is being, being met. When, when He is speaking your love language and when she is speaking your love language then everything is complete. You feel complete in each other. I want to read one final scripture to you. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Paul here was challenging the church of Philippi when he said this, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. He's really saying, don't be so selfish. Don't be so stuck on yourself that you can't see the needs of your spouse, of those around you. And that's our biggest problem in marriages is we get so stuck on ourselves, on on me, 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 me. And we neglect our spouse. Make it about your spouse. And I guarantee you when you do that, she's going to reciprocate, If you, you know, guys. She's going to reciprocate and make that about you then. And, and it goes both ways. You want to have a blessed marriage? Remove selfishness and obey that scripture. Do not look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That idea is the key to romance in marriages, right there. That is the key, is moving, removing that selfishness. I asked someone here this morning, what is the key to your marriage? How, how have you made it work for so long? And this individual said, it's not being selfish. It's removing selfishness. And that just echoed what I had read, what I've studied. And every one of us here know that to be true. Selfishness just gets in the way. Selfishness leads to ruin and destruction. Have you figured it out yet, married people, single people? Have you figured it out yet? It's not about you. It isn't. Everybody say, it's not about me. It's not about me. Especially in a marriage, it's not about me. It's about your spouse, is really what it's about. It's about your spouse. Successful marriages with long-lasting love are unselfish in nature. Successful marriages with long-lasting love are unselfish in nature. If every one of you here today that has not been married or um, looking to get married, uh, if you look and you go ask these people that have been married for, for 20 years, 30 years, everyone will tell you that unselfishness is the key, being unselfish. And everyone that's ever had a relationship that's been destroyed will tell you the one common theme. It was selfishness on one or the other part, or both parts. It was selfishness. Real quickly, I just want to recap again. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. You got to make and you got to take the time to show your spouse how much you love them. You got to open those doors. You got to compliment her. You got to compliment him. It's a verb. Don't take them for granted. It's, you know, that was the old school way, right? The, the old school marriage. 70 years ago, 60 years ago. Well, I loved her. I said yes at the altar until things change. She knows I love her. 
How many know people like that or have known people like that, right? We've all heard those stories. Don't let that be you. God wants to give you so much more than that. He really does. So again, love is a verb. Make it happen this week. Foundation for staying in love is to make love a verb. Do that today, will you? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father God, Lord, we thank you this morning uh, for your precious love. How you loved each of us, Lord. How, Lord, you set everything aside and you were willingly uh, able to go to the cross. You loved us so much. And, Lord, you put every desire you had aside. And you said, I love each of you so much that I will sacrifice myself so that you may have eternal life. And Lord, although we don't have to go to the cross and we don't have to put ourselves on that cross physically, Lord, we do have to do that in a sense of taking that cross up each and every day, as the Bible says, and not being selfish, looking out for others, Lord, looking out for my spouse. Lord, help me to love better today than I did yesterday. Help me to love better tomorrow than I have today. And Lord, with your help, I can have a great marriage. I can have a great relationship. Lord, help me to have sacrificial love. And, in, and when I do that, Lord, it gets reciprocated by my spouse. He or she begins to give that back to me, Lord. And Father, that's when blessing begins to happen. That's when blessing is poured out. Because then we have oneness with each other and oneness with you, Lord. We're complete in each other. We're complete in you, Father. So I pray your blessing upon every marriage here today, Lord. Upon every relationship, Father. That they would put you first. And Lord, as they do that that they would be reminded that in order to have a blessed relationship, not only do they need to put you first, but they need to set aside their selfishness. Make love an action word, not just a noun. And begin to follow you as you mentioned in your word. Love one another as I have done. Lord, teach us how to do that every day. Give us wisdom to how to do that. For those that have struggled with that or don't know, Lord, give us wisdom so that we may have blessed marriages, blessed relationships, and that our children, our grandchildren, those around us that we make an influence on, can see what a model marriage should look like. So, Father God, we thank you this morning. I pray, Lord, help us to have a great week in modeling that love to one another. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, God bless you this week and uh, have a great week. Learn that love language that your spouse speaks. Now go and be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Amen? Amen. Amen.